great to have you with us, Graham. Oh, Welcome it's back it's to the studio. I know, it's, it's yeah. a long time since we've been here. Yeah. It's been about five weeks or something yeah. like since that. we did this. So. Yeah. Happy Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy everything else. All of those things, Happy yeah. Birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I can't think of any other happies, just, just happy. Let's be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Can we pray for you before we speak? Ah, that would be great. Thank yeah, you. do you want to pray? Yeah, yeah, Jesus, we thank you for Graham, Lord. We thank you for um, who he is, the way he serves. And Lord, we thank you yeah. for this word that he's prepared for us, Lord, this message that he's going to bring to us. Um, Lord, we just pray that you would bless him as he communicates. Lord, we just pray that you would help the words to flow out of his mouth. Um, Lord, that every word that he speaks would be of you. And Lord, we just pray that um, what he says um, yeah. is really, um, yeah, it's just... <laughs> um, Lord, we just pray that we're able to understand it fully, what, what you want to say through Graham this morning. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I feel like that sometimes. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to pray. I just, I just pray that, Lord, you know, what Noah said. <laughs> all right. So good morning, everyone. Hope you're all well. And we are going to have a look at a bit out of the Old Testament, which happened in the story of God's people moving from Egypt into the land that, that God had promised them. A couple of weeks ago, we tried to look at the idea of God making a promise to his people that passed from one generation to another through hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of years. And then eventually God's people ended up in Egypt and most people will know a bit of the story. And in fact, uh, you may have read this chapter already this week. Um, uh, if not, I'm going to read a little bit from Exodus 16, but uh, go back afterwards, read the whole chapter and uh, get the whole round picture of the, the story. But uh, just to, to fill you in a little bit. So we've, we've had this promise and then God's people end up in Egypt through Joseph and his family going down there. And then they are there for over 400 years, but their situation changes a lot. When they arrive, they're honoured guests, they're welcomed and all the, uh, the kind of wealth of Egypt is before them. But over the period that they're there, the Pharaoh changes, the king changes, and they end up in a very different position because they end up as slaves and they're responsible to the Egyptians and they don't have any rights. They're really oppressed, uh, treated very badly. Um, they, they have to live in the, the same area. They can't own land or have any freedom at all. And then Moses arrives into the middle of all this and says, hey, you remember that God who 400 and more years ago made a promise? Well, he sent me to get you out of here. And they're all going, yeah, like, come on, Moses, how are you going to do that? So we, we have this remarkable series of stories of, of miracles of deliverance. And there are 10 of them, as you probably know. And what happens really is that Egypt is devastated by the way that God brings judgment on them because they have they've been really, really awful as oppressors and captors, even to the point of, of killing all the, um, the Israelite firstborn babies, the male babies. They uh, suffer because of that and God brings his judgment upon them. They then are heading off, they go through the Red Sea, which is a a uh, miracle that causes a lot of controversy, like did, how did that really happen and did they go through, did they walk around it, um, was it just a shallow puddle, uh, I, 
we're not going to go into that now. But they go through it. The sea closes back in, drowns the Egyptian army. The Israelite people see this incredible deliverance, and then they are off to the place that God has promised them, which is a couple of weeks' journey through the, the desert. But there are a lot of people. We don't know exactly how many, but we are told at one point that there were 600,000 men of fighting age, which would be 30, uh, 20 and above, probably. So th there are clearly a lot of people. It's not just like a few dozen people making their way across the desert. There are hundreds of thousands, possibly even millions of them. And if uh, you've ever been on a trip where you've been responsible for a number of people, uh, I've done quite a lot of school trips in my time, and the main thing you need to make sure about for school trips is that people have food, and uh, food, drink, and the internet. Those are the, the three things you have to be aware of. Um, they probably weren't going to find the internet at that stage in the desert. Uh, no Wi-Fi, no 5G, or anything like that going on. But they did need food and water. The first story they have coming out of Egypt and having gone through the, uh, the water, they need fresh water to drink. And so there's a story later on in the chapter about that. You can go back and, and read that. But the one I want to concentrate on is a story of food. And they would have taken some food with them, but it would only have lasted them a few days. And after a while, they begin to grumble. Let me read a little bit to you. Uh, the whole community of Israel set out from Elim and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elim and Mount Sinai. Uh, they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. So this is very soon after they've seen these colossal miracles. Uh, there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. They said, it's all your fault. If you hadn't have come and led us out, if you hadn't have uh, brought these miracles with you, we wouldn't be hungry now. Which seems, on the one hand, it seems a bit shallow, but on the other hand, you can, you can understand it. When we're hungry, we, we want some food. And they're in the middle of the desert. There is nothing around. There's no Aldi. There's no um, uh, Deliveroo that they can ring up and uh, you know, bring something from the takeaway for them. Uh, they then go on to say, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. <laughs> there we sat around Pottsville with meat, we ate all the bread we wanted, but now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Um, you can imagine Moses felt really happy about that. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going, so the Lord is going, to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out, they can pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them test them in this to see whether or not they'll follow my instructions. And so the, the story goes on. I'm not going to, to talk too much about the food. You, you probably know what, what happens. There's this stuff that they say, what's that? They call it manna, and there are all kinds of really interesting explanations as to what it might have been and how the whole thing might have worked. And there are a whole load of, of rabbit holes you can disappear down in trying to to work that out if you get onto the internet and start looking. It's fascinating, quite fun, so have a look. But the real thing that God is trying to help his people in is this. They haven't had to trust him for 400 years. 
they haven't really had a relationship with him. They have nothing to read about him. They've got an oral tradition, but they've been stuck in slavery for hundreds of years. And so all the talk of a promised land, it's like, well, that's maybe by and by when we die. That's not going to be a reality of something that happens in our lifetimes. And Moses comes along and says, it is, but we have to learn to trust God. And so through the, uh, these incredible miracles, through the Red Sea experience, and now as they go through the desert, they're going to have to learn to trust God. And God is trying to take them from slavery, from their identity being tied up with slavery, to their identity being in a people who trust God. It's, uh, it's a fascinating journey and it's, it's not one that's going to happen quickly because as we go through these stories, we're going to see that over and over again, there were different aspects of things they had to, to learn. And this is the first one. So physically, they're hungry. Their stomachs will be rumbling. Their children will be saying, hey, I'm hungry. Give me some food. Uh, we've all been in that situation at different times. So Moses says to the, the people, this is what, what God has said. Uh, there's going to be some quail and they're going to arrive. Now, if there are, I don't know, maybe a million and a half, two million, maybe more people, that's a lot of quail. You, know, you can't go down to Waitrose and say, can I have quail for three million, please? Um, so these quail are, are going to, to come in. And again, you can do some research about quail. I won't go into it, but it's quite interesting. So they're going to come into the camp at night. So there'll be fresh meat to eat for, I don't know how many people, but a lot. And then the next morning, there's going to be stuff on the ground like a dew that they can pick up and they can make bread from. And again, three million people. If you read further on, it talks about every person having two quarts each. Um, for those who can only operate in, in metric, uh, that's about uh, a quarter is about a litre. So two litres worth each. And they go and they pick this stuff up. Um, so for a family of four, it would be about a bucket full. They take it back, they knead it, they turn it into bread, and they, they cook bread. And God's going to supply this. And what's more, he's going to supply it day after day after day after day after day. And in fact, the supply goes on for 40 years. So in this period, they're learning to trust God's provision. But the incredible thing is, if you read on... Uh, in the, the, the chapter, verse 7. Um, this is the Lord speaking to Moses. In the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he's heard your complaints which are against him, uh, not against us, Moses and Aaron. What have we done that you should complain about us? So in God's provision for the people, they would see his glory. Often when people talk about the glory of the Lord, what, which we don't fully understand what we mean by that all the time. We sometimes mean different things by it with different people. But here God is saying, in my provision for your physical needs, you'll see my glory. And in fact, it's, it's uh, in verse 10 further on. After Moses has said this, uh, the people all turn and look at this cloud that's following them. And God's glory is revealed in the, the cloud. And so... It's not just a question of meeting a physical need. It's a question of God revealing something about himself in this provision. 
So when God provides for us, we're God's people today, when God provides for us, his glory is revealed in the provision. It's not just, oh, you know, wasn't that great, God answered my prayer, but he is showing something of his goodness and glory in a way that he doesn't show in, in, uh, in other circumstances. It shows his generosity and his love for us. That's why we, we want to get lots and lots of your stories of answered prayer at the moment so we can see God's glory in your life through what he's done for you. So in this instance, uh, later on in the chapter, you'll, you'll see what happens. This is incredible provision for all these people. But it's the start of a journey where God is trying to take a people who are not a nation and make them into a nation and give them a sense of identity. And in fact, there's all kinds of themes through this story that you see repeated in the, the New Testament as through Jesus, through all the things God's doing in Jesus, um, the writers wanted to help the, uh, the uh, Jewish people they were writing to identify with things that God had done in their history. So Peter says, look, once you weren't a nation and now you are a nation. So in that case, he's talking about people who were Jews and people who weren't Jews, Gentiles as they were called, bringing them together and making a new nation, one new nation, out of um, a very disparate group of people. And that's what's happening here in this story. How can we take something from this lesson for, for us? You see, the, the Israelites were in a situation where they had no choice. As I said, there were no other options. There was no, there was no food available. And God provided something for them when they had no choice. And in that, he was saying, look, when, you, when your backs are against the wall, I will provide for you because I am your provider. I, and it was in all sorts of other ways as well. I'm your healer. I'll keep these diseases from you. I'm going to stop your clothes wearing out and all those kinds of things. If we transfer into our modern lives, I think one of the difficulties we face is that um, it's not so often that our backs are against the wall like that. <laughs> you see, we have so many options and what I've noticed over the years is that when I've been in a situation either on my own or with uh, my family or with a group of people and we've had no other option but to trust God uh, it's then that we see some wonderful and beautiful answers to prayer which uh, everybody gets very very excited about I think the thing that God wants us to learn as we read through the story of his people is how to make a choice that we say, look, we've got a lot of options, but actually we're only sticking with one option. We're making you the option, Lord. Uh, there are no other options here. Chris is, is fond of the phrase, uh, number one on a list of one. Um, you've probably heard him use that quite a lot of times. Our choice is to get rid of the rest of the list. Our choice is to make God number one and not to have a number two option. Now, sometimes we need wisdom in the way that we do that. And, you know, people can come along and say, oh, yeah, but what about this and what about that? And I, I know, I know. OK, but what I have found um, over the years is when I've been able to do that, I've seen God come and do some some remarkable and beautiful things. 
And sometimes it requires you to be a little stubborn and obstinate in what, uh, what you're trusting for and what you're holding on to. Uh, and sometimes uh, it looks a little strange. People say, well, why don't you do this and do that? But once you know that you have a sense of promise, and I come back to that, if God has spoken to you in some way or you've just uh, seen something in the Bible that has gone lifted off the page to you, so to speak, and you hold on to that, then that puts us in the position of trusting him and not trusting anybody else. So I put a couple of questions in City News on Monday and hopefully uh, they'll appear on the, uh, in the chat as well. And uh, think about it. And if you're together with some other people, perhaps chat about it together. We, we haven't been promoting the, the hubs because of the coronavirus situation still, but um, talk about it. How can we put God first in that way so that we trust him and him alone?